Nevada. Motive, mystery woman, and what do you tell your kids? Welcome to the Terrorist Therapist Show. I'm Dr. Carol, a psychiatrist, and you are a terrorist therapist. I'm here to help you and your family reach your dreams despite living in a time of terror. Now, before I get into this uh, tragic soap opera of uh, Stephen Paddock and the worst mass shooting in America, uh, I do want to just have a little aside here about um, the name terrorist therapist, because it has come to my attention that some people um, wonder what I mean by that, whether I'm a therapist for terrorists, which I'm not, and whether I'm a terrorist, which I'm not. So without further ado, let's get on to the topic, this terrible, terrible tragedy that is, it's, it is like an auto accident or like a soap opera where we can't stop watching, which of course, as you may know, is very bad for your mental health. And it is certainly bad for children's mental health. So please keep your children away from the screens. Now, as I'll talk about later uh, in the show, that does not mean don't talk to your kids about this. In fact, you do need to because whether they see what's going on, news reports in your home, or whether they go to little Johnny's home and they watch it there, or they talk about it with their friends at school, they're gonna have these some, some information uh, jumbled in their head, and it's gonna be upsetting them. They're gonna wonder whether they're gonna be shot on the playground at school, for example. And so you can't not talk about it. And at the end of the show, I will give you some tips for how you can do just that. Meanwhile, let us talk a little bit about who is Stephen Paddock, the Las Vegas shooter. What we know, you know, of course, as the days are going by, um, we are getting more pieces to the puzzle, but it is still quite a mysterious puzzle. So um, he was a high-stakes gambler. He also uh, was a, an investor in real estate, which is where he made a lot of his money in addition to um, gambling. I mean, it's sort of not known whether he was um, uh, mostly winning or mostly losing, but he was definitely a high stakes gambler and um, was given lots of perks in the hotels in Las Vegas as they give their high stakes uh, gamblers because they want them to keep gambling there. So he was often given um, whole, um, sweets and so on, like he probably got at the Mandalay Bay Hotel, which is where I stayed um, in for New Year's not too long ago. Lovely hotel. I don't think it's going to be, uh, don't know how well it's going to be doing in the future, but um, it is a lovely hotel. However, it is very impersonal, which is how he was able to sneak all these guns up to his room. It's a huge hotel. Anyhow, back to Stephen. Um, He's been employed as, a, as an, a, um, a, an auditor, as a, um, a tax, uh, as an accountant. Uh, he's had a number of, of jobs in the past. Um, you know, it's, he sort of defies the stereotype of the quiet, good boy accountant. Um, he is twice divorced. He is, has been involved with this woman, this mystery woman. Um, Mary Lou Dan Danley, 
who has finally, finally come back to the United States and she's being questioned by authorities. I will talk about her. Not a fan, let me tell you. Um, anyhow, he, he was, has been with her for the last um, two or three years, depending upon which report you believe. Um, in any case, he lived a very unmoored and unconventional life, but he was living, at the time of the shooting, he was living in a quiet retirement community in Mesquite, Nevada, which is um, close to Las Vegas. He would live there when he wasn't living in a hotel in Vegas, and he would primarily be spending his time gambling in Vegas. Um, now, the key to understanding Stephen Paddock psychologically, the key to understanding him, is what happened to him when he was seven years old. That is, his father uh, was a notorious bank robber, and um, he, he robbed several banks, and he ultimately, he, he then became a, uh, he then escaped from prison, and twice, actually, um, and he was, he, he was on the FBI most wanted list for 10 years. He had various jobs, lived in various places, as did Stephen, move all over the place. Um, now, in, when Stephen was seven years old in 1960, uh, one day, FBI agents showed up at his family's home in Tucson, Arizona, and they arrested his father for bank robbery. And his father, um, his father's name at that time, his father went by several names, uh, and he was going then by Pat Paddock, and he was considered big and jolly, and a father of four young boys. Stephen was the eldest. He was seven, and so, you know, the other boys were very young and didn't really know what was going on, but they, the FBI came and arrested his father. Now, um, when that happened, a neighbor, uh, you know, shocked the town because uh, they considered him this perfect citizen, uh, the father, Pat Paddock. And um, he was, he owned a small business in town. He was a special deputy at the sheriff's office, but his name was really Benjamin Hoskins Paddock. And um, he had a long rap sheet going back to Chicago. Uh, in Arizona, he sold garbage disposals during the week, volunteered for the local search and rescue team, and get this, he counseled wayward youths in his spare time. So Stephen uh, was taken away by a neighbor to go swimming to, you know, be spared from uh, what was happening, you know, the arrest of his father. And after that, Stephen's mother did not tell Stephen or that his brothers, you know, even as the brothers were getting a little older, the family secret was that the father uh, had died. The mother said that the father had died. She did not say that he was taken to prison. And this lie, as family secrets often do, they screw up the kids. And this lie, thinking that his father was dead, they, told, they were told that he was a mechanic, and that he died from some accident working on cars. And it is not known when, if or when, well, presumably, um, at some point, they did tell the Stephen and his brothers what really happened to his father. And, you know, one has to wonder whether Stephen sort of got a whiff of it, uh, even though he was taken quickly to, to go swimming, 
um, surely he was traumatized by seeing these FBI guys come, and then all of a sudden his father disappeared. I mean, really? Um, you know, when parents do these kinds of things to try to protect kids, sometimes it really comes back to bite them. So now this, his father was diagnosed as psychopathic with suicidal tendencies. He was considered armed and very dangerous on this FBI most wanted list. So that is the seeds of Stephen's um, pathology. That, you know, I know some people find it hard to believe. How could what? That happened when he was seven years old. What does that have to do with his going to a hotel room and shooting at the concert goers and what? Well, <laughs> it does. Um, first of all, it does in, in a couple of ways. One, Stephen could well have inherited the genetic predisposition to becoming a psychopath with suicidal tendencies. And um, this whole traumatic situation, whatever he was aware of at the, very, at the time, even though his mother thought she had you know, hidden the whole thing from him, the lie, um, all of that has an impact. Uh, because when, when a parent lies to you, and I keep trying, this is so important, and, and I know parents do this, they're well-meaning. It's not, it's trying to help kids, the parents, but it's, it's misguided. Um, you need to tell kids the truth about everything, you know, from terrorism, like my book, where I uh, talk about that, about how important it is for parents to tell, talk to kids about terrorism, um, to, to this kind of thing. Um, you need to, of course, tell children according to their age and according to their psychological maturity and in little pieces, you know, depending upon the whole situation, it's different and for different kids, but you do not lie. You don't, you don't say that your father died in a car accident or a car fell on him or whatever she said. Um, so he, um, getting back to just the rest of Stephen's life, um, he, he, um, Ultimately, he never had a, you know, one of the interesting things is, unlike a lot of mass shooters, he did not have a criminal history, Stephen I'm talking about now. Like, unlike his father, he didn't have a long uh, criminal record before he did this. Um, you know, they've been doing, they've been interviewing his brother, Eric. Uh, that is the only brother that uh, Stephen had some kind of contact with, stayed in contact with. And uh, the brother, if you've seen an interview of him on television, uh, the brother looks like he's really, well, he's incredibly traumatized and he's falling apart at the seams, um, which, you know, one can, because his brother, Eric, said that Stephen was like a father to him, that he used to take him camping and so on, and since they didn't have a father in the home. Um, so it really is very hard for Eric, who really does seem to not have had a clue um, about uh, Stephen's real personality and certainly not about what he was planning. So um, Eric has said um, that there's nothing I can say. My brother did this. It's like he shot us. I couldn't be more dumbfounded. He talked about uh, how it was like an asteroid striking the earth. You know, like he said that to the reporter. If how, if you, it's how you would feel if an asteroid suddenly came down and hit us. It's that out of the blue. So 
he said that the last time uh, he communicated with his brother, Stephen, was because of the hurricane, Hurricane Irma, when Stephen inquired about how the family was doing because his mother and his brother was, was, were living in Florida. And uh, so he asked about the mother, uh, how she's doing after the hurricane. He sent her, his, their, his mother, their mother is 89 years old. <clears throat> And uh, Eric said it's really difficult for their mother because she's had to deal with her husband, who was a bank robber, and now this. And um, he and uh, Stephen has been. He sent his mother a walker. He sent his mother cookies. Uh, you know, all along. Now um, let's go to. The, I'm, I'm not going to get into the details of the incident because I am sure you have seen and heard about this 20 million times. Um, I'll just say that um, so far there are 15, at least 59 people who were killed and there are more than 500 who were injured and undoubtedly some of these 500 will die. Uh, he shot them from his window on the 32nd floor of the Mandalay Bay. He had an unbelievable uh, cache of, um, of uh, weapons. And uh, in, in the hotel room and in his home, so I'm not really going to get into that because what's, what's the most important, the most important, uh, or most for me, what's most interesting about this is this, well two things the motive figuring out the motive and this mystery woman uh mary lou <laughs> mystery mary lou um i i'm not sure well yes i, I think i mentioned about his ex-wives okay let's go to the motives now uh you know i i said i called this terror in nevada but really um or terror in vegas but really um it's, it's worth talking about this word terror and terrorism because there's a whole, you know, there are all kinds of um, discussions about this. Was this terrorism? Was he, is he a terrorist? What do you call this? I mean, he certainly created terror by what he did. Uh, all the people running in terror, clearly. Um, but it's, I don't, I don't necessarily call this terrorism in the same sense of radical Islamist terrorism. Um, however, that is certainly one of the possible motives, and I, and I have not uh, given up on that motive, despite the fact that um, some of the uh, authorities, a lot of the authorities, all of the authorities <laughs> so far, none of the authorities are saying that it is terrorism as in radical Islamist terrorism. Um, they are, they are uh, trying to poo-poo that, you know, be in denial of that, and I'm not so sure. Now, some of the theories have to do with mounting gambling debts, uh, or a family history of mental illness, notably his father, or partisan political rage, um, you know, in the same way that um, the shooter attacked the baseball field where the Republicans were practicing, and then also a claim of responsibility by ISIS. Now, um, so let's look at all these possibilities. And today, there's a new, a new little twist. Um, apparently, he was given Valium by a doctor. So let's talk about that first, because that's kind of, you may not have heard of that yet. 
but um, and it is a pet peeve of mine when people blame um, psychiatric medications for these kinds of crazy acts. <clears throat> um, that isn't to say that some psychiatric medications in rare cases can't have certain kinds of side effects. Of course, every medication has side effects, but they do not turn people into um, the kind of mass shooter that uh, Stephen Paddock became. But let's look at that. Apparently, they found this out because uh, Nevada has um, a, a base uh, of medication, prescri prescribed medications. And they found out that he was given Valium in June <clears throat> by a Dr. Stephen Winkler in Nevada. He is a, he's not a psychiatrist. He's an internal medicine doctor. And, um, you know, how long did he spend with Stephen? <clears throat> Obviously not long enough to figure out that he was dangerous. And, um, you know, that's the trend these days, just give them a prescription and send them away. Um, now, so, okay, so there's been reports that Valium can sometimes act like, um, uh, can have an opposite effect. Instead of calming a person, in some cases, rare cases, it can have the opposite effect and disinhibit the person and make them more aggressive. Just like alcohol uh, is mostly sedating, but it can sometimes disinhibit people and make them aggressive. However, just like alcohol, when Valium does this, it is in the moment. It is not something that can be, uh, where it can be attributed or, or can be seen as the cause of, of something which took months of planning or weeks of planning, or months, years actually, he's been uh, gathering the weapons. So it, it cannot explain what um, uh, Stephen Paddock did. It would have only been something that would have been at, uh, just for the moment. Um, and he had, been, he had been in the hotel for three days. It's not the answer. You know, people love to blame psychiatric medications for everything. Um, so, okay, that's, let's uh, take that, put that down. That, that's not exactly a motive, but a cause. So, okay, so now gambling debts. Now gambling debts, um, he, he was known to play games, poker games for $1,000 a hand, and apparently he was spending up to $30,000 a day on the casino floor in the days leading to the shooting. But they don't really know yet, and I don't know, I mean, it's going to be hard to really know for sure, but they don't know whether he was, did have uh, overwhelming gambling debts or whether he was winning at that point. Um, so that really seems a little unlikely. It's possible. It's possible that he had, you know, gambled himself into a hole, especially if, um, I mean, if he was taking the medicine and that clouded his mind um, and he wasn't able to play as well, but we don't know any of that. Now, mental illness, as I said, he did um, inherit some genetic predisposition to uh, being, becoming a psychopath and having suicidal tendencies. And we know that he did commit suicide right before he was captured or before he would be able to be captured by the police. Um, political rage, like uh, what happened on the baseball field, you know, there are some blogs that have a picture of him wearing a pink feminist hat, but it doesn't really look like him, and it's, it's you know, unlikely to be him. ISIS, let's go to ISIS, because that's what I think. 
I think should not be dismissed so quickly is what I think. Um, yes, ISIS tends to claim responsibility, you know, that, that when something, when some um, murder or violent act happens, attack happens, they like to claim that this is uh, because the person was a believer in the ISIS philosophy. But um, this time they really, um, they made it a little more details about it. And people who are uh, tasked with analyzing what ISIS reports have said that um, the, it's in the same vein as when they have been true in the past. So let me tell you what ISIS has said. And, and there's another little wrinkle here. Um, well, first of all, he's, he, uh, Stephen has, was known to be missing for months at a time where he could well have been at um, these hotels, you know, comped at these hotels, but he could also equally well have been somewhere where he learned how to uh, shoot, how to, how to um, uh, work these complicated um, weapons and how to change the weapons so that they would shoot one bullet after the other. You know, there was a lot of um, manipulation that he had to do of these weapons, and at least his brother doesn't know, he wasn't in the military, and his brother doesn't know where he would have learned that. And good old Mary Lou comes from the Philippines originally, and we certainly know that there are terror cells in the Philippines. Now, I'm not saying that he was part of a ter terror cell necessarily, but certainly it is not hard to believe that he could have been influenced by um, terrorist philosophies, uh, you know, over the internet, if not in the Philippines or wherever. So what, the, what, um, the, what ISIS has put out in response to him or why they're, in terms of their claiming that he is, was a soldier, uh, in other words, not in a cell, but a follower. So they wrote, responding to the call of Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi to target the states of the Crusader Alliance, and after careful observation of gatherings of the Crusaders in the U.S. city of Las Vegas, one of the soldiers of the Caliphate, and they named him Abu Abd al-Bar al-Amriki, may Allah accept him, lay hidden armed with machine guns and various ammunition in a hotel overlooking a concert. He opened fire on their gathering, leaving 600 killed and injured until his ammunition was finished and he departed as a martyr. Now, um, you know, yes, he's a little old for being a terrorist. He's 64, a little old for being a mass <laughs> shooter also for that matter. Um, however, uh, just days before this mass shooting, uh, there was an, an audio that was put out by Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, um, ISIS, the ISIS leader, calling for more attacks. And we know for quite some time that there have been calls from ISIS, particularly to attack Las Vegas. And apparently, particularly to attack concerts, we had uh, Manchester, Ariana Grande, and we had the Bataclan in Paris before that, both concerts. So there are certain um, hallmarks related to ISIS or terrorism. 
So I don't think that we should be dismissing these things quite so quickly. Now, um, you know, there are those, of course, who say that uh, ISIS is just desperate and that's why they're saying this and so on. But at the same time, um, you know, even if ISIS is lying about it, people who want to believe in ISIS and follow ISIS and so on will see this as a victory. It will be spurred on by this. Um, so, so we cannot dismiss this so quickly as, as um, is my point. And um, authorities are so quick to try to do this. Now, let's look at the mystery woman. Um, Mary Lou Danley. Okay. She was uh, born in the Philippines. She moved to Australia in the late 1970s. She was married there for about 10 years. Then she moved to the U.S. In 1990, she married a man uh, called Geary Danley. In 1996, in other words, while she was still married to Gary, Geary Danley, uh, she married another man, Jose Bustos. Um, then in 2013, she met Paddock. And how did she meet him? She met him in her job, euphemistically called a hostess for high rollers, you know, high players, um, people who like, like um, Stephen Paddock. And um, what kind of job would a bad girl who is a gold digger get? <laughs> What's the best job in the world for a gold digger? Well, it would be a casino hostess for the big players, um, where you are likely to meet the men with the biggest gold. Before that, she worked doing something for an airline. She worked selling Avon, um, but but it was her her most recent jobs were as this casino hostess. Now. Uh, oh, and so she got divorced in 2015. So she met Panic in 2013, approximately. They, she got divorced from her Geary Danley husband um, in 2015. So, you know, this she overlapped men and marriages, in other words. Um, she, you know, one of the key things that also speaks to her... Uh, guilt about something. I'm not, she wasn't in the room with um, Stephen Paddock when he was shooting. In fact, she was in the Philippines. She, she left about two weeks before the incident, had the tragedy, and she went to the Philippines. And then um, she left after about a week in the Philippines. She went for about three days to Hong Kong. And then she returned to the Philippines. And meanwhile, she only came back last night, on Tuesday night. Now, you know, uh, the, the, the police or the authorities uh, here in America were trying to reach her, obviously. They, they knew about her because they found her IDs in uh, the hotel room of, um, that Stephen was using. So they knew to look for her. And um, she took her sweet time. They couldn't quite find out where she was. Some, they thought that she was in Hong Kong when she was in the Philippines. And it was all very confusing. And she was not exactly volunteering to come back to the States um, anytime soon. You know, you would think if she was horrified by what happened, uh, that she, as soon as she heard about it, she would come back here and try to help. But no. <laughs> and in fact, she, now that she's back, but she's not going to talk until she gets a lawyer. 
Now you might say, yes, you know, that's the smart thing to do and so on. But, but it all speaks to um, something very fishy going on, as does the fact that um, uh, Stephen Paddock wired $100,000 to the Philippines when she was there. Now, is that hush money? Did it, so far there's no proof that it got to her, although it's most likely that it got to her. And was it meant for her? Was it meant for a terrorist cell in the Philippines? All of these are questions that need to be answered. So, um, you know, her, her whole history is, is also one similar to Stevens in terms of um, sort of being an opportunist and traveling all over and having a sketchy kind of life and being euphemistic at that. Let me tell you, um, so we're, we, have to, we have to see how this all plays out. We're all gonna be glued more than we should be. <laughs> uh, you know, the, the, I do wanna say this, the facts are coming out so slowly um, that it, it would, there's no point in watching this 24 seven because it's really the same stories over and over again, whether you listen to things on the internet or whether you um, watch things on the internet or television or whatever, it, it, you'll, you'll see that it's the same people saying the same things over and over. At least I'm giving you some different, different ways to think about all of this. Now, let me end by talking to you um, about, uh, about how to talk about this to your kids. Um, now, I, in my book, um, I, I talk about how to talk about terrorism with your kids. And as I said before, I'm not, I, I'm not considering this at this point to be, we don't know whether it's, you know, radical Islamist terrorists terrorism. But in any case, this is an incident, a, a horrendous incident that caused terror. So uh, here are just a few tips for this, for this particular immediate situation. So as I was saying earlier, don't pretend that your kids don't know about what happened in Las Vegas so that you don't have to talk about the tragedy. Second thing, encourage kids to ask questions and tell you how they feel about what they saw. In other words, don't pretend they don't know anything about them about it. Ask them to ask you what they want to know, what they think happened, and what they want to know about it. Ask them what they think is the reason why someone would do such a horrible thing. Um, ask them, this is a great opportunity to talk to them about how if they're feeling bad or sad or confused or whatever it is that... Uh, um, or hearing voices or whatever it is that it will turn out that uh, Stephen Paddock was feeling, ask them if they ever feel upset about things and so angry that they'd like to do something violent. And this is a great opportunity to, to get to their feelings. And then ask them how they feel about guns and violent entertainment. This is a great time to talk about not watching, um, well, not playing with guns and not watching, um, violent entertainment. And then ask them what they would have said to the shooter if he had told them his plans. So again, this is a good opportunity to talk about the importance of asking for help if you feel angry or sad instead of hurting other people. All the options that would be available to them and why they should talk to you about these kinds of feelings. Well, um, 
I want to thank you for listening to the Terrorist Therapist Show. I want to tell you about, um, you know, these tips that I gave you, these five tips are great for right now and for this situation. But in my book that just came out, Lions and Tigers and Terrorists, Oh My, How to Protect Your Child in a Time of Terror, I talk about not only um, how to talk to your kids about terrorism and how to answer their questions um, and um, how to notice specific kinds of psychological symptoms that your children may be showing that you don't necessarily um, see as related to terrorism, but they well could be, you know, whatever they've seen or heard about it. Um, and, and I talk about 88 ways, I provide 88 ways that families can, over the long term, raise children in a way that makes them more resilient to terrorist attacks of, you know, in my book I talk about radical Islamist terrorist attacks, but in any kind of um, sort of any kind of major disaster that causes terror for that matter. But um, it could be applied to, these same things could be applied to. Um, and then of course in the second half of my book is a picture book for kids about radical Islamist terrorism and um, explaining it to them in a gentle way. So I would encourage you to go to my website um, to see uh, more of my commentary in general about terrorism, uh, blogs and podcasts and, uh, and news. Um, and also I will tell you can, the book Lions and Tigers and Terrorists, oh my, is available wherever books are sold, bookstores, uh, online. Also, my publisher has a website where you can get it, which is uh, terrorismforkids.com. Terrorism, the number four, kids.com. And my website is terroristtherapist.com. Terroristtherapist.com. Thank you for listening. You've been listening to the Terrorist Therapist Show. Please check out my website and the website of the book and so on for more information uh, because the impact of what happened in Vegas and the impact of uh, other terrorist attacks um, are, are long-standing, have long-standing effects on adults and children.